Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 20 of Sword and Spirit, a podcast by First Baptist Church, Bay St. Louis. Today, our senior pastor, Brett Frazier, and our student and discipleship pastor, Dustin Pierce, are going to be diving right in and continuing our discussion on the Baptist faith and message. So, let's jump right in. Welcome back. We're so thankful for you joining us. It has been, <clears throat> it's been a while. Yeah, been too long. Been a while. It's a lot hotter now. Uh, than when we were recording the last episode. But we were trying to make our way through the Baptist faith and message, which is what we believe as Southern Baptists. We rally around a statement of beliefs that we believe comes straight from the Bible. And so today, and the next episode, and possibly a third, uh, we'll just see what happens. We're going to get through the church. And so uh, we have an outline here we're going to go through that uh, Dustin has helped put together. And so today we're talking about the church on paper. And that's basically what the Bible says the church is supposed to be doing. And then we have uh, the church on the move, and which is the fleshing out and actually what us going. So uh, the church on paper, uh, Dustin's in the house. We're up here. Matthew is giving a crack at producing this episode today. So uh, if something goes wrong, it is completely Matthew's fault. Just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, we can't, can't make fun of Matthew for microwaving his ice cream anymore. That's right. He's right here with he's us. He's right here. We can't <laughs> make subtle shots at Matthew. So um, but We love you, Matthew. Absolutely. It's all in love. And Matthew is a raging Alabama fan, and so uh, football season's coming up, so we got to be careful what we say because chances are his team's going to play your team, and it's not going to go well for your team. That's right. They're going to come out on top. So, but we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully, um, that little kingdom will fall soon. So, back on God's kingdom. That's right, God's uh, kingdom. The church on paper. Uh, Dustin, give us a definition of the foundation and the head of the church. Yeah, absolutely. So we got to start off with where where does the church begin? Well, it begins with Jesus first and foremost. Uh, he's the foundation. He's the head. Uh, the Bible describes him as the cornerstone. You can find uh, verses about him being the foundation in 1 Corinthians 3.11. Uh, you can go check out 2 Peter 2, 4-8, uh, Acts 4.10-12, and Ephesians 2.20-22. And all those verses affirm that Jesus is the cornerstone. The whole church is built up and around Jesus. He is central in everything. Uh, Colossians 1.18 refers to him as the head. He is the one that is in charge of the church. It's all about him. And so before we even go any further, we've got to understand Jesus is the one who loves the church. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have a church. He's the one that guides and leads. And all of us as church members must submit ourselves to Jesus' lordship so that way the church will be guided and led by Jesus. So he is the foundation and the head. And so we need to understand that before we move into describing the church, which it's kind of what we want to do next is describe what is the church. And there are some misconceptions about the church that people have. One is that the church is a building. It's where you come on Main Street uh, to worship the Lord. It's that place that people go to. And that's just not what church is. Another misconception that people has, have is that the church is this weekly event. It's the, one, it's the event that you come to on Sundays and you should be here every week and that this is the event that you have to come to, and it's the church. Or an order of service. Yeah, that's true. And then the third misconception is the church is everyone present at the gathering, which is a little closer to the definition, but 
not everybody who gathers at the church on a Sunday is saved. That's right. They're not all part of the church. Just like uh, you may have heard someone say before, uh, just because you stand in a garage, that doesn't make you a car. In the same way, just because you're present in a church building does not make you part of the church. And I might add, since we're getting a new Bucky's, just because you get a Bucky's, you don't turn into a beaver. That's right. <laughs> and so what are some good definitions of the church? So Wayne Grudem, he is a theologian. He wrote a systematic theology. He says, now this is a very you simple... You kill someone with that book. Oh, yeah, it is massive. Yeah. yeah, don't drop that thing. You'll break a toe. Uh, he says, very simple definition, the church is the community of all true believers for all time. So what is the church? It's a community of believers. Uh, Mark Dever, this guy, he wrote his dissertation on the church. Uh, he says that the, his, his definition is a little more flushed out there. He says the church is the body of people called by God's grace through faith in Christ to glorify him together by serving him in this world. I like his definition better because it yeah. really says that we're not just supposed to come and be a community and stay right here, but we got to get out there in the world. we got to glorify God, and we've got to serve Him. Man, and so, yeah. I love it because it's got the called, which is the called out ones from Ecclesia. Yeah, absolutely. That, which is the word for the New Testament yeah, church. Yeah, yeah exactly. New, yeah. Yeah, it's spot on. And so, yeah, that that word, Ecclesia, it means called out ones, uh, and it's called out for the purpose of assembling together. And so when we hear ecclesia, that's the whole point. You're, it's almost like somebody came through the streets of the city and they said, we need, a, we need a town meeting. We need a meeting. We need a meeting. Everybody needs to come together in the square. We've got to meet together, and we've got to talk to one another. Well, in the same way, that's what a church is. All of us are called out for one purpose, and it's to follow Jesus. And we're called out to come together in, in that mission and assemble with one another to follow the Lord. And we have a similar word in the Old Testament. It's kahal, uh, and it means to come together as a congregation. And so it referred to the whole people of Israel. So th these words, ecclesia, kahal, uh, that's where we get our concept of church. In fact, uh, the word began to change through the years, and really our word for church came from uh, these terms adapting through Latin and all these other languages and coming to uh, Middle English. And the people in Scotland would call the church the Kirk. And so, uh, if did you say the skirt? The <laughs> no. Oh, the Kirk. Very, very different things there. <laughs> the Kirk, like Kirk's wheel and tire. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to give a shout well, out. I there. have Scottish <laughs> blood, and so my ancestors are Scottish, and so I just I'm all about the skirt. So, yeah, that's right. So, uh, the Kirk, or which later became pronounced church, that's where our word for church comes from. And so we've got all this information about the church, trying to describe the church, define the church. And then there's the church universal, which is all of us as believers are united in one church. So if you're a believer, you're part of this one church all over the world. And then there's the church local, which means you could be a member of First Baptist Church, Bay St. Louis. And so, you know, these are just technical definitions and understandings that we need to have about the church. But what does the church actually look like? What are the characteristics of the church? Well, these same two guys, Dever and Grudem, they have these, uh, Dever calls them the marks of a healthy church. And he says you need to have expositional preaching, which is just uh, preaching through books of the Bible and preaching in a way that expounds on the text instead of inserting your idea on the text. And then there's biblical theology, 
Uh, everything you believe needs to come out of the Bible. He says you need to uh, have a focus on the gospel. You need to have a biblical understanding of what it means to become a Christian, or he says conversion. You need to have a biblical understanding of evangelism, a biblical understanding of church membership, a biblical church discipline. That's something we don't like to hear always. And then a concern for discipleship and growth, and then biblical leadership. And uh, Grudem, he adds a few to this. His list uh, consists of biblical doctrine, proper ordinances, that'd be like the Lord's Supper and Baptism, uh, church discipline, effective prayer, effective witness, effective fellowship, biblical government, uh, spiritual power in ministry, personal holiness among members, and care for the poor, and a love for Christ. And so he lays out all these uh, characteristics of a pure church is what his characteristics are. And so I found it very interesting. There's some overlap here uh, between these two. One is biblical doctrine and biblical theology. I mean, those are basically the same thing. Uh, biblical understanding of evangelism, uh, which was, like Grudem says, effective witness. Uh, biblical church discipline. I find it very interesting. That's one that a lot of church members don't like to talk about church discipline. And here are these two uh, theologians who say it's important for a healthy church. And then biblical government and biblical leadership, very similar concepts there. So, I mean, there are some very important concepts for characteristics of a church. Yeah. Um, I, want, <clears throat> I want us to go back, Dustin, if we can. Yeah. The church universal and the church local. Um, a lot of times people don't get that. Yeah. And, and there's some, I mean, I remember there was one professor uh, that he just was so much about the local church that he failed to see any value in a universal church. And so, and I think his heart was the right place. And, and biblically, um, the local church, everything that we do should be funneled through the local church, right? And that's where it starts. That's where it's at. That's who we want to be. Yeah. And I think so many times with mature Christians, um, most healthy believers belong to a local church. I mean, it'd be a perfect church, but it is a church that loves God, loves the Bible, and wants to follow Him. And so a lot of times unhealthy believers do not belong consistently to a local church. And you see that with, um, uh, just to be honest, you see that with a lot of Christian musicians on the national stage sure. that, that are well-known. They write songs. They They've got, you know, they do the podcasts. They do, a lot of people ask them spiritual advice. Um, and yet I think a lot of times you say, well, where did you go to church? Where are you consistently going to local church? And they're like, well, I'm everywhere. Well, that's unhealthy. Right. I think right. that's why you have like casting crowns uh, who they make in an effort to get to return every single week back to their local church. I think God will honor that. But there is the, you know, when Jesus comes back, he's coming back for every single local church, which is the uh, universal church. Yeah, we're all united in the gospel, and that's something that uh, should help us find fellowship with one another. And when we meet other believers, regardless of denomination, we can be excited that, hey, you believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus. That unifies us. That's that's powerful. That's right. And we can't let our differences um, cause us to not ever work together. That's true. And, I mean, there are points where people break fellowship, and we understand those, but it's almost to a point of hatred you see sometimes between churches, and that's just, that is silly. You know, the world is already against us all the way when it comes to stand up for truth. And so I think we need to remember, man, if you love Jesus, 
Um, and you, and if if you understand, put your faith in the gospel for your salvation, then you're a true believer. Yeah. And we're going to be in heaven for all eternity. We might as well get started. That's right. Working together, playing together, talking together. That's right. You hear all the jokes, together. and I think they make the jokes about every denomination is, you know, you see Peter giving a guide through heaven, and they come to this one place, and he says, oh, yeah, well, you've got to, got to be real quiet going past here. This is this denomination. They think they're the only ones here. And, uh, yeah, it's not going to be like that. Yeah. We're going to we're gonna know each other in heaven. I found myself being at, like, I was at a Catholic meeting one time, and people joked around about having food and fellowship. They said, you know how the Catholics are. They they won't have their food, you know, their fried chicken. I'm thinking, that's exactly what the Baptists say. And then I've heard of, you know, I've been in a Methodist meeting, and they're like, you know how the Methodists are about their food. You know, here in the South, I'm thinking, okay, every one of the denominations loves food. That's right. right? At least we can so agree on There's food. a lot more things that we have in common. <laughs> Uh, often than we have differences. Yeah, and and there are there's such beautiful imagery for the church and what it looks like and how we're united and we're not just separated. Uh, for example, we've got uh, the body in 1 Corinthians 12 and in uh, Ephesians and Colossians. It's mentioned throughout those books as well. We're all individual members, but we're part of a body that works together uh, and Christ is the head. And then there's uh, the bride in Ephesians 5 that... Jesus loves the church, that he gave himself up for the church. And so we see this this beautiful imagery here that we're all united, that Jesus loves his bride, he gave himself up for the bride, he, we're all a body working together in unity. We're a household or a family, and we work together. We're a priesthood of, of believers, is what Peter calls us in 1 Peter 2, 5, that we have Jesus in us, and we represent him everywhere we go. Uh, we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in us. That's what Ephesians 2, 21 says. So all this beautiful imagery for how we're united as the body of Christ, as the bride, household, a, a priesthood, a temple of the Lord. And so, you know, we are unified. And the Bible expresses that in powerful ways. Mm-hmm. But also, there are benefits to the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, the church has authority in spiritual warfare, uh, Jesus said that the keys of the kingdom are given to the church in Matthew chapter 18. He also says that the church is responsible for church discipline. So when you have church discipline, the ultimate authority on that is the church. The church can decide to take away someone's membership if they are refusing to walk in the Lord. And so, you know, all those things, the church has authority. But what does the church really look like when you look at the organization and how does it all stack up? How does it all pan out? And I think you, you got to start with membership. And so when it comes to being a member of the church, it starts with being a believer. And I always think about Paul's letters to the epistles. Who that? Letter to the letters. Who that? Epistles. Who that? Who that talking about beating them saints? That's right, the saints. And so Paul always says in his epistles or letters, he always says he writes to the saints of a church. And so he never writes to the people who are unbelievers who might just attend that church. He always writes to the saints at Ephesus or the saints at Colossae because Paul recognizes that the church consists of believers. And more than one. That's right. And so when it comes to membership, I mean prerequisite number one is you gotta be a you gotta be a believer. Uh, and you've got to be a professing believer and that means um, being baptized. And so being a believer, being baptized, all prerequisites to being a member, uh, but also every member 
belongs to a particular church. And so when Paul talks about membership, he always says, you know, the mm. members at, I mean, the saints mm. at Ephesus or the saints at Colossae. So they're associated with a particular church. So you may think, well, what's the point of church membership? I don't, I don't need to be a member of a church. Well, mm. Paul always associated these saints with the church that they were faithful to, the one that they attended. And, you know, there are some benefits to that. And we're really going to talk about that so a lot in our next relevant yeah. to today. Exactly. Well, it started because of COVID. Okay, so now people watch five services on Sunday morning at their house. Yeah. Okay, so which one are they? Uh, well, I guess we belong to all of them. Okay, so which one are you tithing to? Which one? Who, which one's your pastor? Right. Um, who are those that you're serving alongside? Who are you? Where's the mutual benefit of fellowship? Yeah, exactly. Um, and you don't see that. And so I think what you've seen is this separating the goats from the sheep. And so many people, because COVID is often a healthy or a, a seemingly excuse, it's a lame excuse, but it is an excuse yeah. that I, I heard yesterday, um, you know, somebody talking to someone saying, okay, well, uh, it wasn't even our church. It was off campus. It was, uh, well, we're just kind of floating around. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's seasons in your life where you can float and I guess and try to find out where you're going to land but eventually your feet have to come back down and and you have to if you're going to be healthy yeah and usually that's more around the time where you move to a new community or um, maybe the church that you've been going to for years doesn't exist anymore Mm -hmm. of course you're going to float you're going to be trying to figure out where to go right Um, but sometimes we look for other excuses to float and really it's not a good reason to float. We just don't want to be involved where we're at. And so we just look for the first excuse available and we bail. Yeah, and, and so we live in a consumeristic society, and so it's always... Right, what can um, I get out okay, of this church? Okay, so we're going to go to the church that, that makes us feel the best right. and meets all of our needs. Instead of saying, Lord, here am I. Send me to the church body you want me to belong to. Right, where I to can where get I involved. Can serve. That's yep. right. Yeah, and so, yeah, there's plenty of benefits in being not just attending, but being involved in a church. It comes with community and fellowship with believers. You know, Acts 2.42 really lays out this beautiful passage about how they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to breaking of bread and prayer. They had such strong community, they were willing to sell their possessions and give to people who had need. Uh, Then there were, you know, another benefit of the church is, godly leadership that can guide you and direct you and and counsel you and help you in lots of different ways and accountability believers who aren't afraid to come alongside you and say hey man you're doing this and it's really not not healthy for you it's really not good and so you know we sometimes we see accountability it's not a good thing but it really is it helps us to grow and it helps us in, in every way and so you know all those things are benefits of being a church member and then We talked about membership, but how does that work as a congregation? How does all that organization really come together? Before you jump off in that, yeah, man, I'm on the way to church yesterday. Yeah, and I just got excited, and I got excited um, because I knew, man, I'm about to get to be with God's people. That's good. Yeah, and I thought to myself, man, how do people who don't have that? How do they function? How do they make it? How do they survive? And uh, I just, I don't know. And I just began to be so thankful that, man, I'm about to go to a place to to sing together, to worship the Lord, and I'm pumped about that and what that does for us. And, uh, you know, that 
you said earlier, the church, uh, we know what it is. We're the called out ones. It's not a place. It's not a location. And so many times I joke around with, you know, I don't joke. I'm, I'm being, trying to be intentional uh, with my children. Hey, we're going to go to the church house because just that term church, you know, you don't want to do it. Jesus joke them. You know, the church <laughs> is not a building. But, you know, I, I told that to one of our teenagers um, yesterday. Yeah. I said something about church house, and he looked at me. He's like, church house? What are you, what are you talking about? I said, we know, like, the building that houses the church. And I said, I say that because I'm trying to teach my, teach my children to, to yet yeah, they still sometimes, let's go to church. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, we, we're going to the building. This is our campus where our, where our church comes. But uh, I think we just have to be very intentional with remembering that the people are the church. And it, what a blessing just to be with God's people. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's beneficial. It's good stuff. And so, you know, when we talk about the congregation, we kind of get to the point where we have to talk about, okay, how is the church organized? And so we as Southern Baptists, we're congregational. We look at Acts chapter 6 where the first deacons were appointed, and we see that uh, the people in the church, the whole congregation, made that decision. We look in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verses 4 through 5, where Paul instructs them about how to give church discipline, and we see that you know, the whole church needs to come together. To, to execute discipline. And then we look at the church in Antioch and we see that they came together in prayer and worship to send out Paul and Barnabas to be missionaries. And they also came together to make this individual decision to send a contribution to the church in Jerusalem. And that was all done uh, by the congregation. They came together and made those decisions. So we look at those examples and we say, well, then the congregation should be involved in the leadership of the church. And so we look at other models like the um, Episcopal model, which is sort of hierarchical. Uh, you have the leader of this on this individual church, and then he has a leader above him who has a leader above him who has a leader above him. And we look at that and we say, well, I see what you're saying, but in First Peter, when we see the word overseer used, or bishop, which would be the person who's over an elder in these Episcopal models, uh, overseer and elder and shepherd, which is where we get our word pastor, they're all the same role. The leader of the church is supposed to do all of those things. And so we say, I see where you're going with that. It seems like a good organizational model, but we just don't find much biblical basis for it. So then another model we see is the Presbyterian model, which is also sort of hierarchical. Uh, it involves elders on different levels, uh, leading in different capacities. Uh, and again, that's just something that we don't see really exercised in uh, the New Testament church. I mean, we do see Paul calling people to appoint elders, but it's at uh, the permission of an apostle or the command of an apostle. And so, you know, we'll talk about apostles a little bit later. And so I don't see any anywhere where it's elders appointing elders or anything like that. So that's just another model that we as Southern Baptists, uh, we, we don't get behind uh, then there's the non-governmental model. That's one that uh, we definitely don't get behind. I mean, the whole point of the book of 1 Corinthians is your church isn't organized. You need to be organized in some way or another, and this isn't it. Then there's the corporate model. This is becoming uh, even more popular in trendy, today's world. Trendy, trendy. That's right. And the idea is you have a board that leads the church, whether that's a board of elders or a board of deacons or a board of directors. Uh, but they're the ones who make all the decisions in the church, and that is a corporate model. 
And we don't see that anywhere in the Bible. Now, you know, we're not going to bash anybody for having uh, a different style of government than we do. I mean, we obviously support the congregational style, but I think the most important thing is that you have some form of organization in your church because no organization, it's going to lead to chaos. And when people come to your church, it's just going to be chaotic and they're not going to learn about Jesus. They're just going to notice the chaos. So I would just say, you know, if you have a different model, you know, we don't hate you for that. That's fine. We just want you to have there's some no organization. Hate. There's no hate. That's right. I, th- I think something to guard against is because this trend is super trendy just to have a business model and to, you know what, if people aren't going to do what's right in the church, we're just going to make them, right? So we're going to hire people to do it. Right. And we're going to force people to do these these things. We're going to force people to do outreach. We're going to force people to, you know, to love each other. And, and you really see that, I'm not going to call any names, but some of these big-time organizations that call themselves churches, which are really just businesses, and they make money just like a business. Yeah. That's another podcast. But I think the, the thing that guard against is we can be successful in the flesh to an extent, but there's no power like yeah. the power from the Lord. Uh, right. That we get from from having an autonomous, priestly, every you know, priesthood of the believer kind of church. Yeah, it's one thing to look good on paper, and another thing to have a walk with the Lord and to have God moving in the power of His Spirit in your midst. Those yeah. are whole different experiences. And you want to talk about wisdom, right? Direction, directional wisdom. Okay, so if you're going to say the Spirit of God speaks to you and you hear from God, okay, that's one person. But how much more powerful is it when 300 people oh, yeah. seek God's wisdom and the Spirit of God gives them all the same exact leading because they check with the Spirit first? Yeah. That is powerful. That's right. And that is way more healthy. And that that's what that's what it's about. Yeah. We all absolutely. have access. We are not a hierarchy. There are some Baptist brothers of ours who believe that Southern Baptist Convention is a hierarchy. That's another podcast episode. It, but that's not who we, we just want to be clear. That's right. not who we believe we are. That's right. We're and, a congregational uh, model. We can be friends with those other models, like you said. Yeah. No hate. Exactly. All love. But uh, we're not going to do that. We're yeah. priesthood we of believe, believer. Yeah. Priesthood of believer. Everybody has access Local to God. Local church, where's, that's where it's at. Yeah. That's right. And so, you know, what are, we talked about this organizational model. Uh, how does that work out? And then what are the leaders in this model. So we believe, you know, we're congregational, but the con- the congregation allows some people to lead and exercise authority in some ways. Uh, and those positions are... Well, you already said elder. You mentioned yeah, it, but elder, elder overseer, shepherd, yeah. all those are simultaneous terms mentioned for the pastor. Right. So, yeah. So in our churches, we have deacons and we have pastors. And so you see these qualifications for deacons laid out uh, in First Timothy three, and then there's some in in Acts chapter six too, where the first deacons are appointed. Uh, I wish we had time to really just dig into every one of these, but here's just the list. They got to be dignified, not double tongued. That means deceitful, devious, untrustworthy, any of those things. Uh, not a drunk, not greedy, sure of his faith, tested. Uh, he must have a wife who's also dignified, not a slanderer, uh, sober-minded and faithful. He must be the husband of one wife. Uh, must manage his household well, must be full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, and be a man of good reputation. And so what does the deacon do? Well, the Word 
diakonos in Greek means to serve. So first and foremost, a deacon is a servant. They serve in the church. And they also orchestrate. We see these first deacons, they are given the responsibility of serving the widows in the church, but not just in a capacity of we just come and serve, but we organize, we orchestrate. They're sort of servant leaders. They lead the charge for the whole church to serve and be involved. And so in that way, they're servant leaders with the main responsibility of serving and helping uh, the pastor because, I mean, the pastor can't do it all. Then he'll never get a chance to preach on Sundays or never get a chance to uh, do all the things that pastors are responsible for doing because he needs the help of the deacons. And so then there's, of course, the pastor. And what a specific example in Acts 6 was to dedicate themselves to the, yeah, that's to right. the preaching of the Word, to the Word and to prayer. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, pastors need to be in the Word and they need to be praying. So what are the qualifications of a pastor? Well, they need to be above reproach. That one's a little bit different from deacons. They need to be the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled. That's a little bit different from deacons. Uh, Respectable, hospitable, able to teach sound doctrine and correct false doctrine. All these a little bit different from deacons. Uh, Not a drunk, not violent or quarrelsome, but gentle, not greedy, managing his household well, not a recent convert, otherwise he might become conceited or puffed up, Uh, and then well thought of by outsiders. All these are things that we should look for in people who lead our churches and the people that we allow to lead our churches. And then their responsibility is to preach and teach and correct doctrine. Uh, They are to manage the church or shepherd the church, oversee the church, the household of God. And so that's what elders or pastors are supposed to do. So there's a lot of debate these days, uh, Brad, I want to ask what you think about this, about a plurality of pastors or a plurality of elders. Should you have more than one elder in your church or more than one pastor in your church? I think when possible, yes. Yeah. I mean, I'll say that without hesitation. I think the problem is right now, um, it's going to be more of an issue, is there are thousands of churches without a pastor. Yeah, and um, and some of those church, do some of those churches need to die? Maybe a few of them, but that's up, up to the Lord. I think if those churches want to be healthy, they're gonna they're gonna go find them a pastor. They're gonna pray him that's there. Right. And so, I think sometimes there's a problem that we see right now uh, with especially some larger churches. You see these guys who they're in seminary. They string that out right, so they're in seminary for like six or seven years. And they're just there at this local church, not even on staff. They're just working at the coffee shop, and there's no direction to go be a pastor, all the while saying they're called to be a pastor when there are churches that need a pastor. They're praying for a pastor. They're crying, begging God for a pastor. And so I think um, it makes sense uh, to have more than one because especially when you think of people, Right? How many people can one pastor, one man shepherd? It is almost impossible. That's why we have the model that Jesus gave us, right? The the one, the three, the twelve, yep. and so on. Uh, it's only so many people you can invest in um, before it gets super unhealthy. Right. And so I remember uh, one time my friend Emmanuel, who came to visit from overseas, and uh, we were walking around in a church that I was on staff at, and. Uh, he says, uh, Brett, 
uh, megachurch is unbiblical. And I said, hold up, man. We're not a me- this is not a megachurch. We're just a large church. He says, yes, but one pastor can only uh, pastor 300 people. And I'm thinking, well, that's a lot of people. But, but what he was trying to say is, in India, um, it's just impossible. Yeah. Once you get over 300 people for one man. And I think that's one reason why we have several guys. You know, Dustin, you're here. You're, you are also a pastor ordained by God to be a pastor. And you're, so you, we do have a plurality here. Yep. at our church um they need to have a different role uh, but i think that because we do have you know i don't know how many people we have we have uh, between four or five hundred members we have if everybody came at one time including attendees we probably have 700 people but we have a an average of anywhere from you know right now some covid numbers slip from 200 to 300 people yep. who come on sunday maybe 350 sometimes and that's just a lot of people to get to yeah and it's so hard you know to have a meaningful relationship, to be able to speak into people's lives. And that's why we have to have the small groups, which is not really, we're not to that point in the church talking about fellowship yeah. and accountability yet. But um, to, to answer your question, I think it's absolutely okay. And I think if your church is a certain size, it's necessary. You have to have oh, yeah. it. You have to have it. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, there's a lot of things that people don't take into it. Like some people are so adamant about a plurality of elders that they would think you're just wrong if you don't have multiple elders. And yeah. to that I would say, well, yeah. well, there are some churches that just cannot afford that. They can't do it. And also, when you think about the original church, they were set up different than us. Uh, they had, I mean, one church for the whole city. So, of course, they had a plurality of elders. And uh, we, we don't know exactly how all that was orchestrated out, who, who met where and any of those things. But when Paul writes a letter to a church, he writes a letter to the one church in that entire city. And so, you know, that was a whole different context. But I'd also say, you know, it's just practical. It offers accountability. It offers help for the, the pastors. I mean, it is, it's just, it's a practical thing. So then, you know, that leads us to, Paul points out there's another role in the church, apostles. Before you jump into the apostles. Okay. Let's back that train up on the elder thing. Plurality. I did not know this going through seminary. Nobody ever told me. But when you're a pastor of a church in a town in the South or anywhere where there's a Christian culture of people, there is a lot more that comes with the office of a pastor from the community that you never learn about. You don't. It's not even in the job description, really. Oh, yeah. And so it is, you may have more funerals that you preach that they're not even members than you do in your church. Yeah. You may have more counseling meetings with people in your city, and that's great because that's outreach. That's helping, you know, you take as many of those as you can because you want to get the gospel out. It lets you operate outside of that Christian bubble, so to speak. But there's a certain toll that that takes on a man emotionally, mentally, that I just never dreamed was such a beast. And um, it, it's a big deal. You know, people look at you for spiritual advice, um, that they go to different, they, they don't eat, either they don't go to church anywhere or they may go attend a different church, but because you're a spiritual leader in the town, they want to call you, they want to talk to you, which takes time and effort. And so there's just an emotional pull and weight when you shepherd a local church because you also help shepherd that city. Right. You're viewed as a spiritual leader that I think, you know, especially like our church. So we're like the only Baptist church within our city limits. We've got some more Baptist churches around us that are really incredible, healthy churches. But as far as down here on Main Street, 
And right here in our immediate context, we're the only Baptist, Southern Baptist. And so um, I would say that there's, there's a certain weight to that. And I think for us, it's a, a huge win to have other ministers on staff. Oh, yeah, for sure. So apostles is uh, one uh, is a role that Paul mentions. And so we got to figure out uh, apostles are supposed to be above elders. But, I mean, I don't know about you, Brett, but I don't see any apostles running around anywhere. How well, does that work? We got a letter to the church one time. This guy was coming to Bay St. Louis to preach, and he said he was an apostle. Yeah, and I uh, told our people that we don't need to go hear, we don't need to go hear that guy preach. Yeah, so here's the deal about red apostles. Flag. Yeah, big red flag. Uh, the word is used kind of two ways in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, we see multiple people called apostles, but we've got to understand this word existed in the Greek language before the New Testament was written, and back then it meant to be a messenger sent by a person of authority. And so sometimes when the Bible uses the word apostle, it's talking about someone who is sent on mission by the Lord to do something like be a missionary or plant a church or something like that. Mm-hmm. Not always is it this concept of apostles, the leaders of the church, the ones who spent time with Jesus from the time that he was baptized until uh, witnessed his uh, resurrection and you know all those qualifications we have for apostles. And so... Um, I think when Paul is talking about what, who is over a pastor, he's talking about those apostles who they saw the Lord, and they're the ones who invest in pastors and or elders, whatever you want to call them, for the future generation. He's not talking about the missionaries or the church planners in this situation. And I would say that those apostles, well, they're not here anymore. We don't have any more people who have been with Jesus from the time of his baptism and witnessed his resurrection. Um, they just, they're just not here anymore. So I, that's the reason we're, we don't have apostles in our church. Yeah, I would say also there's uh, the office of the evangelist that uh, is kind of a tricky, tricky office. There's a lot of confusion surrounding that. But you do see several guys in the New Testament that their, their main call by God was to go and to share the gospel. And um, I think we can say that for us this year we saw the, the proof of that. Uh, we had a, a revival. We had Rick Corum, who is a lifelong evangelist, come and preach the gospel. And when he came, he shared the gospel, and it's the same gospel that we had been sharing with people all the previous year. And all of a sudden, we have 25 people coming to Christ. Yeah. And, uh, and it, I, I just truly believe um, it wasn't so much that uh, they got caught up in a moment. It was it clicked. And why did it click then? It may have something to do with, obviously, us praying hard preparing our hearts, praying for God to save people. Um, But I think it's a full picture of all those things working together. And and so there is the office of the evangelist, which is kind of fading in the American church. But uh, there's some merit to that that might be another episode we could talk about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And so then, you know, every church is autonomous. That means they're independent. They're self-governing. No other church can come in and say, hey, First Baptist Bay St. Louis, we think you should do things this way, and if you don't listen to us, we're canceling you as a church. That that doesn't exist. Uh, just the example we gave earlier, the church in Antioch, they came together and made their own decisions about who to send out as missionaries. They made their own decisions about uh, taking up a collection for other churches. They were their own autonomous church. But we also believe, as in Southern Baptists, we believe in cooperation. 
Uh, we believe, we see biblical examples of this, like the church in Antioch cooperated with other churches by taking up a contribution and sending it to them. Uh, we also see that Ephesus uh, helped plant the church in Colossae and Laodicea, and Paul, when he writes a letter to Colossae, asks them to share it with the church in Laodicea. So we see these churches, they cooperate with one another. They work together for the gospel. And we as a Southern Baptist Convention, and that's what we try to do uh, when, with our mission boards and with everything that we do. We try to work together to put our funds together and cooperate for the sake of making the gospel known among the nations. So, yeah, uh, when someone asks you, what is the church supposed to be? You can refer them to this podcast episode. Uh, that is episode 20, The Church on Paper. That's right. Uh, we're so glad you joined us today. We're honored and humbled that you joined us, and we hope these thoughts about the church will spur you on to be a faithful member of a local church and to um, encourage other people. When you lead someone to Christ, part of the discipleship is helping them plug into a local church where they can thrive, where they can help that church flourish to take the gospel to the nations. That's right. And hopefully our next podcast will be even more interesting and intriguing which is because we're going to be talking about the church on the move. Let's go. What does the church do? Let's go. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day. That wraps up everything for today's episode, and we hope you enjoyed listening. If you liked today's episode, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you can stay up to date on all future content we release. We also want to let you know about our website, fbcbsl.org, where you can find further information on our church, our sermon library, and much more content there. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll catch you in the next one.